Hello, everyone. I'm Becca, dietitian by trade, mom 24-7, wife from the start, and when there's a few extra hours in the day, you might find me hitting the trails or on horseback. And I'm Kara, a therapist to women, a mom to a boy, an entrepreneur, mountain junkie, and a postpartum runner. And this is Fit for a Queen, a podcast that's devoted to the female athlete wanting to balance the teeter-totter of all the things we desire out of life as women. Performance, health, intellect, and taking time for self, even if we only get one minute out of the day. We're so excited to be bringing you the queens in the athletic world who have done just that. Okay, ladies, take a seat at your thrones, grab your crowns, and welcome to Fit for a Queen. We have Samantha Livingstone on with us today. She's an Olympic gold medalist, high-performance consultant, speaker, and mental health activist. At home in the classroom, Samantha spent six years teaching high school science and coaching swimming. After a near-death experience with her then 12-month-old daughter, Samantha knew it was time to pay forward all she'd learned about achievement, mental illness, and rising from failure and finding happiness. In 2016, Samantha founded Livingstone High Performance and the Whole Athlete Initiative in response to the mental health crisis impacting adolescents across the globe. LHP provides pillars of support to organizations, teams, and individuals to elevate mental health and improve performance. Welcome, Samantha. All right, Queens, this is going to be a lot of fun. We have, I joke, a repeat offender back Mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Don't know how we talked you into coming back on the podcast. That we love dearly, Samantha Livingstone. Samantha, what have you been up to? Oh, my goodness. I'm so grateful to be here with you and (laughs) reconnecting and chatting. Oh, what have I been up to? Well, I finally was able to be in person, which is exciting this fall after 18 months of not traveling. My kids are back at school, so there's that. So, yes. Again, the things that we're (laughs) thankful for this year, which are huge, right? In person and the children are in school. Those are big things. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I found public speaking, like, you know, there's those studies where they talk about where kids have to look at mother's facial expressions, and if she's smiling, they're okay. If if not, then Mm. they start to cry. Like, I don't know how to public speak when everybody's covered up with a mask. Like, you're trying to go, what Mm. are their eyes doing? Like, are they looking? Mm -hmm. So, it's weird social interactions right now. It, it's it's such a trade off, right? Because then on Zoom, you, the energy there is hard to read. Yes. Although I felt like I got kind of a hang of it, but um, then right when you were in the room, so I was at a I was presenting in person, and the kids were. But I think you and it's not either or. I think you can also you can. I think it forces us to pay attention to eyes in a different way. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to find the silver lining. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Like doing therapeutic, doing mental health sessions with a client with a mask. I am asking more questions about like, mm. so how are we how are we doing over there? I can't tell <laughs> from your eyes. I just need a little bit more information. So, yeah, it's weird yeah. times. So yeah. tell us how did your life kind of have to pivot? I mean, that's like my favorite word, pivot during the pandemic. So yeah. we should write a book on that. Totally. Pivoting. Um, how did you have to pivot and how are you keep pivoting? Yeah. So the first major pivot was that sport stopped. I mean, mm-hmm. like school first, we were just out and that was kind of actually it offered us a chance. We were coming off of hockey season. And so it offers us a chance to exhale and be together <laughs> and not drive. And then that downtime in the afternoon of like, okay, so I'm doing this thing with the girls for their school during the day. And then we were home. 
so that was, it was this moment of like a pause really, mm-hmm. right. Of, okay. A lot of my work pri- prior to the pandemic was like my one-on-one clients have been virtual. So I've been zooming before zoom became like a verb that everyone knows. Right. <laughs> So that part was real, but then like the cascade of all the in-person events that I had booked, including like what we were talking about doing and bringing to Kansas City, you know, it was just this cascade of cancellations for the rest of 2020. So Mm -hmm. some of them pivoted to uh, virtual, most didn't. And then I just actually was able to complete one that was booked for 2020 and then did it. We did it outside of the football field. So that felt really good. But yeah, a lot. It was kind of that mixed, like the combination of that both and, you know, and with our daughter and her history of her heart condition. So it was just like, we just didn't know a lot. It was like thrusted into that uncertainty of not knowing. And then, you know, some of the, there's an upside to it. And then also there was hard to it. So yeah, we've been through a lot. Yeah. (laughs) Remind us again, how old are your kiddos? So my oldest is 11 and a half. So we got a middle schooler, Mm -hmm. sixth grade. And then the twins are going to be nine on Halloween, which is wild. <laughs> and they are in third grade. And then my kindergartner, who's going on 25. Sure. She's off to school full day. So she's five. Oh, my goodness. So you are negotiating a lot of virtual schooling for a lot mm-hmm. of kids in one house. Mm-hmm. I, am, I am sensing that well, did, was probably difficult. Didn't you shift and you actually homeschooled last year? So I did. So the spring was, yeah. So some of their challenges individually, they, like it was wet, like the anxiety was through the roof with the virtual component. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and like the teachers were doing the best they can. I'm, I'm an educator at my core and I had such compassion and also it was just such a hard time. So we did make the decision where I homeschooled all four mm-hmm. for a little while and until April actually. And I, I'll be honest, like it was so much work. It was like another full-time job on top of running a business and I loved it I absolutely loved that time with them so we transformed our bonus room into like a little school room and then we just worked units together and we adventured and yeah it was I will treasure that time because Mm -hmm. when they get bigger you just you spend it's just like the relationship shifts with how you spend time with them Mm -hmm. yeah yeah Yeah, I think you're right the both and and it's like yes it's really hard and Mm -hmm. this is such a special time too how have you been transitioning back with right kids back in school how's that been feeling for you Mm -hmm. so great (laughs) (laughs) yeah if I'm being honest oh please be honest I mean every mom around the world is saying that go to school (laughs) even the kids I think were like I want to go to school oh sure missing their friends they miss their friends Mm -hmm. yeah I think that's been going back so there was a lot of like unschooling that we did which ties directly into the work I do I feel like in the world which is like you know there's so many rules and I think in so many ways school perpetuates and really cultivates perfectionism. It's like, if you just do this thing the right way, then you'll get rewarded with an A or like with a check plus, you know? And so that part, that's been a little bit of an adjustment because we really, like I had the flexibility to really have things be driven from them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's been an adjustment for them. But the time for me, I love this. So the one thing that went for me was my writing. Mm -hmm. So I was, my bandwidth was so maxed Mm -hmm. that the creative space was, I mean, I just, I couldn't tap into it. I right. just didn't have the bandwidth to do that. So that's been coming back, which mm-hmm. feels really good. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff that we had to put on the shelf a little bit to uh, 
mm-hmm. just to kind of get through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and your mm-hmm. your blogs keep it real, so hopefully everybody will mm-hmm. sign up. I love your blogs, yeah, your writing. Nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. There's a few brewing. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you're like <laughs> coming out with them now. Mm. One thing I noticed, thank goodness the Summer Olympics was finally going. And I don't know about you guys, mm. but I was able to watch so much more than I typically do. I usually <laughs> always watch, but again, being holed up a little bit more. And I think this year, mm-hmm. some themes that I loved, mm-hmm. like motherhood and the Olympics and mental health, were things that I was following mm. too. So tell us through your experience how you felt the discussion around mental health during the Olympics might influence change in sport. Tell me a little bit about your experience with some of these things coming out, watching yeah, the Olympics it was- this year. It was so amazing. And to watch with my girls. Yeah. To mm-hmm. see. And I have two little, like my little five-year-old and then Mia, who's one of the twins, they love gymnastics. Mm-hmm. And so they, we like, we read Simone's books and they've just followed her story. And so to be able to watch her hold a boundary, which is how I see it. Like she said, you know, she was saying, this is not okay. Like I'm not okay. So this is what I'm going to do was so profound and then to watch Naomi in, in, in a similar way in, yeah. in the tennis arena, to, to, to be able to name and experience what they were, you know, to, to show us what a boundary looks like to be held. And then the kind of ripple effect, there's like this, you know, the people who have been doing this work, who are fighting for the, the advocacy and trying to create this culture change are saying like, no, we're nodding our heads like, yes. And then it felt like in some ways, like whiplash for those who are, you know, are not there yet on that journey of understanding and really seeing mental health as the same as physical health. And so boundaries can feel like when we're not used to them, so abrupt, like almost offensive. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's kind of the, you know, so seeing some of the way that that was reflected and, you know, I try not to read comments and then I'm human too. So I'm like, (laughs) I also go in to see what people are, you know, how they're responding. Cause then I feel like it shines a light on what we, what we like the work we've got to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think it was, it was courage and action. So it was boundary setting and courage and action. And, and then the four mainstream media to be talking about it, I think it's a massive step too. So I think we're, I feel like we're at a point where, you know, I don't think I can't see us moving back. Like, I think there'll be this whiplash effect and kind of people coming out and saying, oh, this, see, this is what happens, right? We get soft and washed up, then we lose metals. Mm-hmm. And then when you really work with people and pin them down, like most humans, when at the end of the day, care about humans, mm-hmm. you know, like, I think that that's something that traveling again and being with humans, like we can lose sight of that when we're on social media, it can feel so divisive. And then when you're with people, you're like, oh, like humans are actually for the most part, like people are kind and good and decent, you know? And so at the end of the day, I feel like when you are able to connect with someone past that first reaction and, and it can open, you know, that can be a model and an an opening to help expand someone in the way that they see mental health and hear, you know, and hear us talk about it. So I was, it was such a awesome experience to be able to walk through and witness. And I really liked how they had Michael Phelps as a commentator because, you mm. know, I think everybody always thinks it's, oh, it's the pressure when they're going out to perform and perform well. But what I wasn't aware of was like during this COVID 
Olympics, like they were having to isolate in hotel rooms mm-hmm. by themselves and waiting to find out if they even got to compete to get their test results mm-hmm. or if they were an alternate, you know, they might be called at any mm-hmm. moment. Like, could you imagine being on the biggest stage in your life, having to mm-hmm. do it by yourself without your coach, without your support? Like, mm-hmm. even just hearing that, I was like, oh my God, my stomach's in a Talk knot. About anxiety, yeah. right? Um, mm-hmm. And so I think. Hearing him speak about it from his lens and being such an advocate, he's like, you know, it's a lot more mm-hmm. than just getting out there and performing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. you see that that's one thing that's so clear when you, you know, participate in the Olympics and you're competing. What we see as spectators is so different than the experience because it's like it's literally the tip of the iceberg, right? It's all packaged neatly and it's cut to the scene and, you know, and then there's all the rest of it under the surface. And so absolutely. And on top of that, I think in Simone's case in particular, I would remember reading, I can't remember like the dates or how it lined up, but like there was, there was some anniversary related to her trauma that she Mm -hmm. experienced in gymnastics. Mm -hmm. And as someone that's navigated trauma, I just, there's, she's human, you know? And I think that, that, being able to see that, that, that she's human too. We still, like we look at the top of the iceberg and it's easy for us to storytell. It's easy for us to think that they're like a different class of human than we are. Right. And I think that she's shown us in, in so many ways. And that's what Michael says constantly. Um, mm-hmm. We're human too. You know, that's the message. And you'll hear that. Like that's, that's my message to all of us, regardless of what level we perform at, mm-hmm. because we're human. We, we will feel, we will fall and we'll navigate hard things. So, yeah, that that's being alone and isolated. And then you think about the level of uncertainty, like in sports. And this is the part that's like the dots haven't quite been connected explicitly for people. And so when you do so, it might sound funny, but Brene Brown talks about vulnerability, right? And like the, the, the what makes up vulnerability is the emotional exposure and risk and uncertainty, And so you think about those three things, like there's no greater vulnerability than sport, Mm -hmm. right? It's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm maybe exaggerating, right? But that like, we we put ourselves in those positions. And so the level of uncertainty already, and like we talked about at the beginning, when our bandwidth just, not just as mothers and business owners and all that we were doing and with some public facing component, but not right broadcast in the best Olympian like of all time, right. In, in our sport that we were, our bandwidth was tapped. And so they're humans too. And so their bandwidth was tapped. So then when these things come up, like I can only imagine like, where is it coming from? Right. Like there's only, you know, the, at the end of the day, like we all have, we're, we're all doing the best that we can and with the resources that we have. And there was so much that they were carrying, you know? So, Yeah. And I think, I mean, for a spectator, for someone who loves sports, my favorite aspect of it is when we are seeing, like, human emotion Mm. in sport, that connection, right? I Mm -hmm. think going down the rabbit Mm -hmm. hole of, like, I think that's why Ted Lasso is such a popular show right now, Mm -hmm. human emotion, sport, and vulnerability. And, and again, that's what we want so that – and, again, we have to allow that, too, in terms of – you're just not a performer mm. for us, right? Right. Most of our mm. kids, what is the average oh, age geez. of an Olympian? I was watching uh, skateboarding with my nephew, mm. who's like eight or nine. And I think the winner, the girls, was like 13. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's crazy. my daughter. I mean, I can't imagine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's a And heavy. at that point, you know, so 
I was a teenager and like that, and I was 18, definitely not 13. And so, right. You're that, that space of, I'm just doing what I love. Like, I mean, of course I was chasing a dream, but I was just like swimming like that was. And so it was the after like the, the wave of what comes next, then you're doing these interviews and you're like, all of a sudden have this new title. And that's like, that's a whirlwind too. So I, I hope, and, I'm not like, I, as I say this, I'm not so confident that it's the case. I think we've made strides in supporting athletes. I just don't know that the infrastructure is there, which is why I feel like I'm doing the work I'm doing in the world and linking arms with others who are doing the same thing because we've, I mean, it's 21 years since I swam, you know, Michael swam in his first Olympics. Like we, it's 2021, like we, we can do better, right? We, we know what things can help support our athletes. We know what things can help on the protective side. So it's like, okay, so let's do it. Like, let's, let's do it. Yeah. Um, Especially for that 13 year old, you know, I mean, so young taking in that experience. And that's what's going to ask again, like mental health being like, I'm putting air quotes, a hot topic of the Olympics and sports. Mm -hmm. And for me, I'm hoping that continues to stay. What do you think? is being talked about or what else is Mm. again, using that momentum and moving forward. Have you been hearing Mm -hmm. some things or what's going on in that world? Do you think that hopefully that's still happening? Yeah, I think so from, in my experience, like just the way that I saw things was, you know, COVID and the pandemic, like that ripped the bandaid off of many eyes, like in a way where it forced us to look at what we didn't really want to turn towards because it's uncomfortable, because we got our own stuff. And so I think coaches were handed a a lot, right? Because they were maybe not able to be able to be with their athletes in the same way. So Mm -hmm. then they were serving them in a different way, seeing them in a different way, like on Zoom or whatever. And and they're the front lines, in many cases, seeing kids more than their parents. So I think that they were forced to see what maybe they knew was there, but didn't, and didn't know how to handle or didn't know what, right. It was just kind of this in your face thing. So I think that's what, so 2020, there was a lot of momentum. And then in early 2021, there was this like window of things are kind of getting better. And so then it, you know, starts to subside a bit. And so I hope that there's enough momentum. I mean, this is what I'm committed to. I feel like I'm called to do this work. And to, to continuing to, you know, whether it ebbs and flows, like, okay, but that we cannot stop at stories, that we have to have the infrastructure changes and the culture change when it comes to how we talk about mental health. Absolutely. We still talk about it as if it's mental illness. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, let's address, like when a challenge comes up, it's like, okay, let's talk about mental health. Well, we all have it. It's five out of five of us, you know? And so it's, I think what I realized after this initial push of 2020 where coaches were kind of scrambling and parents were scrambling to put together programming to support, like once sport came back, it felt like a little bit of a, Oh, okay. The kids are happy again. Like let's go back to the way it was. Yeah. So, you know, in harnessing the energy and continuing to come back to that message of like, it's still here. I mean, UNC just shut down its campus yesterday. Right. Oh, really? After two deaths of students. Yeah. Oh God. I didn't know that. Yeah. I mean, we've had loss and it, and it, and, and that is, you know, suicide is still the second leading cause of death for persons 10 to 34 mm-hmm. and it's very real. And also there, that's, you know, there are so many more ways that we struggle when it comes to our mental health and suffer. 
And so addressing that and, and bringing all of us together, like this is a collective, we five and five, we all navigate challenge for some of us, myself included, it dips into that space of mental illness, but really we've got to do a better job of learning how to navigate internal discomfort, like fear, uncertainty, like just every, like it's all the human experiences and like, what do we do when we or we, lo- we lose control, right? Or we don't have as much control as we thought we did. What do we do when we feel afraid? You know, do we let that drive our actions or do we? So I think those kind of bringing it, bringing those conversations and continuing to keep them in the forefront is going to take that, like, this is all of us. Like, you, like we don't get to opt in or out of having mental health. Like, this right. is something that we all navigate. So, yeah. So I think that's kind of, that's been my, my take. I'm curious what you, what you think, like what your thoughts are too, the momentum in the, in the work. Again, I, I, I agree. I think it is, uh, we're talking about it more, but you're right. I think again, how do we, and then it is about this, like how social media is used and like, okay, these are the topics, but what is going on underneath to actually make it better, the work, the infrastructure, Mm -hmm. right? And I think Mm -hmm. that's just how we view media. It's so quick. What's the next best thing? What's the next topic? I'm like, yeah, but we haven't (laughs) solved this. It hasn't gotten better. So again, that's that's my hope too of uh, the support needed. It's it's just not something that needs to be talked about during an Olympics. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I think that always goes back to the the now what, like, okay, so, you know, we had an interview earlier today and we're talking about what resources were provided for you. Mm-hmm. None. Mm. I had to go out and seek it myself. Well, my own money, you know, a 20 year old athlete yeah. is not going to know how to search for a mental health clinician or even know what's out there or what's mm-hmm. what's normal, what's been, you know, what's been normalized, excuse me, versus mm-hmm. something that they can get more skills or support on. So I'm with you. I think the conversation has started, which is needed, but we can't we can't just stop there. It has yeah. to keep going and going yeah. and going, which is why yeah. we know mm-hmm. you are such a pivotal <laughs> changer in sport. You don't mm-hmm. just see it. You try to create the change. So tell everybody mm-hmm. about your kind of baby whole health sport. Yeah. So in 2020, so a little, do, I, do we have time for me to share the backstory? Oh, please do. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so I stumbled upon this training online, like I, this, this mental health first aid, which is becoming more of a name that people are like when I interact with people and they're like, Oh, I've heard of that. Or maybe, or, you know, it's, it's becoming more familiar, but I'd never heard of it. And I was like, what is this? I'm like some Google rabbit hole. I was on looking up something <laughs> while writing, right? Like this is way before the pandemic. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. Okay. So I need to take this because what I'm reading feels like this is like a missing piece. And in the work I do, I am athlete, you know, I'm athlete facing, I'm adult facing, like I'm working with clients one-on-one and I'm not a clinician. I'm not clinically trained. I'm an educator, you mm-hmm. know, and I have this ability to help people with high performance. And so I'm like, I want to take this. So I took it and it stirred me because I was like, oh my goodness, I, you know, I've had all the labels, like I've navigated anxiety and PTSD and trauma and childhood trauma and, and an eating disorder, depression, like all of these things. And it changed the way I saw myself. It gave me language and a skill set that I was like, oh my gosh, it was, it it was life-changing for me and how I saw myself, how I saw and talked about mental health and mental illness. 
And then I, the whole time I was like that person in the training, like raising my hand, like, okay, what about, what about this? Because <laughs> Good it, for you. It was designed, you know, the type, right? That was totally me. Us. Um, That's us. Yeah. I was thinking, <laughs> That's how we got the podcast. That's so funny. I was thinking of coaches and club coaches because they kept referring to this internal support system, which as an educator, I was part of, like I walked many students down to the guidance counselor's office and I had the ability to do so because I was within a system and a structure where I would just pass off the child, you know, who needed help or may needed help. Right. And club coaches and coaches, youth sport coaches, like they don't, some colleges don't even have that. Mm -hmm. So it's, so I'm just like, okay, so they can become the bridge. Let's help them build resources. So I went, eventually got trained in becoming an instructor. And it was there that I met who's now one of the co-founders of Whole Health Sport, Lynn Hennenhagen. And, and she is three sport athlete, like in college. And she's been a pivotal, you say pivotal is like the word of the day here, yeah. um, mentor and, and support for me. And you know, her ability, she's trained over like 13,000 people and started a nonprofit and her ability to just get this, this world of being able to serve and empower people with the skill set that they need to handle crisis situations. So we connected instantly and I'm like, how do we bring this to sport? You know, like you're, I think she played two or three sports in college as an athlete. And it's uh -huh. like, okay, like let, let's do this. <laughs> and then literally two weeks later, I was at an event for Beyond Sport in New York City on a panel and a woman in the audience who's now our third partner, which is Dr. Katie Kilty. We instantly connected over, you know, I think I had shared something from the stage that was probably like Brene Brown influenced. And then we, we connected because she's, you know, one of Brene's daily certified instructors and she's been in sports psychology for 20 years and is a professor. And so she became a mentor. So in 2020, I just, I think I'm learning to embrace, like one of my gifts is to just see problems and see the solution, like up in the sky, right? Like this dream, and then to be able to pull it down and create it on the ground. And so I pulled, I called them together, you know, and introduced them. They've never, they've actually still never met in person, which is wild. Oh um, and we've, you know, we formed Whole Health Sport to serve the, the sporting community. And although it's stretching to schools as well to provide the infrastructure. So we utilize mental health first aid training as a part of whole health sport. Like it's one of the components because it's so strongly helps to skill up, right? Like you were saying, it's hard to differentiate between like typical behavior and then when to worry, mm -hmm. right? Like teenagers and tweens are not necessarily the easiest to navigate that space, We're right? Just like talking that's, about that. Yeah. Oh, can I? <laughs> I got a tweenitude in the house. <laughs> tweenitude, I love it. Oh, yeah. Stop. And I love it because that's the age I taught. So I just have, I like play. <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, this is fun. That's fun. Oh, it's fun. It's and also, right? when you lay your head down at night as a mom, you're like, Oh goodness, am I doing everything? Like, right. you know? Yeah. So we, we came together, we, and we have, we, what, what our work is, is an offering workshops and then the formal certification. It's a three year cert. And then what we do on the back end is create, we've created a community where we then walk them through. Cause how many times have you been to a conference with like all the ideas? And then it's like, back to work and right. either totally in paralysis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or like, how do I, so what we've done is created this skill drill drip. It's like, how do you take this work and bring it to the ground? 
And the feedback has been humbling, a little bit overwhelming as I, you know, fully step into myself and, you know, the gifts and the work that we're doing and this and the power of it because it's been transformative. In kids' lives, like so when you impact the people who are then leading our kids, the it's 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 just been to hear the stories has been, I think, my you know, the the most humbling part where you're like, okay, this is really helping empower you, which is allowing you to have the confidence to say something, the language to say something, and then turn toward the resources to get these kids the support that they need. And sometimes, you know, it's like when you have an EMT who's responding, right, then they abridge, like sometimes they can provide the care that's needed, Mm -hmm. whether it's just like a Band-Aid or whatever, or they have to transport to like the surgeon at the Mm. ER. And in the same way, you know, when you are mental health first stage certified, like it might just simply be listening. Like that might be mental health first aid and that might be what they need. And so it's been, yeah, that, so that's what we essentially have been, been doing. And when you ask about like the movement around, you know, from the Olympics and the momentum, I think this is where I'm curious you know, I'm not going to like rush to judgment, but I'm curious because there's a lot of interest. And then when the rubber meets the road mm-hmm. and people have to invest, yes, it's been very interesting. I bet you know, so. like, yeah, like we believe this is so important. We support this. And then it's like, okay, do it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> well, and so, yeah, you and I have had this conversation numerous times. I think everybody goes, oh, well, you know, it's the psychologist or it's, but in the trenches, mm-hmm. it's the athletic trainer, it's the coach, yeah, it's the parents mm-hmm. that are, you know, seeing those kids and, you know, well, they don't seem like themselves. The youth coaches, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's everybody's responsibility. They're in it, yeah. And they mm-hmm. play a crucial role mm-hmm. to be able to be that person that can that can be the EMT. Mm-hmm. I, think that, I think that's a big missing piece is they're always thinking it's somebody else, but we all need to be oh, vested. Totally. We pay, we play, like I say, we play hot potato. It's like, who, whose fault is it? Like whose responsibility? And I, it, and I actually presented at a coaches conference recently and I had someone, a young, very young coach say, you know, I, like I struggle myself. And so I'm a little like concerned with how this will be for me, like to be, you know, the one sharing and connecting. And I said, it might not be you then, but you do call someone in. Right. So like when we see something, we might not have the bandwidth in that moment, but we make sure that we call someone in who's also trusted to be able to be that support, right? So that it's not mm-hmm. just like tossing it onto others, and also we're respecting our own, like what we can, what we can actually, what we're capable of, without forcing ourselves to do it the right way. Just thinking, I from the therapist's point of view, talking to my clients, mm-hmm. I. And I think for everyone, it's not just one person we depend on. And I talk about who's your safety net, right? right. And that's your team of mm. people versus just one who's taking the responsibility or – and especially for young adults, right? Again, like when it's a coach and an athletic trainer and a parent and, right, like you feel held mm-hmm. by mm-hmm. that team mm. of that community, right? Mm-hmm. that it's just not one person that we're pointing the finger at or gets that responsibility and that they can mm-hmm. turn to so many other people who are comfortable with that role. And that's it, right? Mm-hmm. Is that one person is the number one protective factor, that mm-hmm. one trusted adult. And so that, and, and also the, like you see different sides of 
the person. Like they reveal different parts of you. So like you say, athletic trainer, they're seeing a different version yeah. of an athlete than, than the coach, you know? Mm-hmm. So that be- that's beautiful. I love that. I can feel it as you were saying, held like that web, that, mm-hmm. that net. Yeah. Right. And everybody, I can remember playing in college. There was this, she still comes to the home games, but she like would make us bookmark and would always at home games, like be opening the door for everybody to come in. And mm-hmm. she'd be like, where's that smile? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, she was used to having the mm-hmm. interaction, but just somebody like that was part of like getting you like in a good mood and having somebody that was cheering mm-hmm. you. Like every person has an opportunity to be a loop mm-hmm. in the net. Part of that. Yeah. A loop in mm-hmm. the net. Loop in the did net. We just, did we just, oh my just come gosh. Up with yeah. We... Here? <laughs> Are you the loop? I love in the net? it. Be a loop. <laughs> <laughs> it's so that's so real though mm-hmm. and that there's you know that she saw you you know and that connection is what we I mean we are such a lonely collective yeah. mm-hmm. and that loneliness and the isolation added to that right and so when we can connect like that's the antidote that is like that's how can we can recharge we have to let people see us mm-hmm. right we have to be willing and have that trust there yeah, so how powerful. I love that. Goosebumps. Beautiful. Being seen, being heard, that connection. Be a loop. Be a loop mm-hmm. of the net. Be a loop in the Be net. Be a loop. Well, no <laughs> wonder this has been so popular. I You just talking about it, I'm like, ooh, I'm sure a lot of people fired are <laughs> fired up and wanting to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. And again, you've had quite you know, a year and a half yourself. So kind of going back to how are you balancing the fit philosophy out there, <laughs> Samantha? I'm sure you've, mm. you've been finding out a lot about yourself and transitioning and pivoting oh too. So tell us a little bit about that part. Lots of pivots. Mm-hmm. So many pivots and so much healing, you know, and I think that it's like, it's, it's so cliche and also so real. It's like in those rock bottom or those darker times, you just like, there's so much revealed to you if you're willing to listen and sit with it. And the, I think grace has been my word. It's like mm-hmm. being able to meet myself and, and, and shift from the biggest shift over this last like 18 months has been the small pauses through the day versus feeling like I've got to commit to that like 45 minutes or that, you know, like this, like in order for it to count, which I didn't know, I didn't realize how much that was still sticking around. Right. And so being able to, to do a walking meditation or just literally simply go outside and take some deep breaths with my feet on the ground and take time. I take baths. I love taking baths to read. And so that's like my space to check in with myself. And I realized that, you know, I'm not always like I'm, I'm falling short quite a bit on that, right. Where I like have bump up against my own guardrails and I'm like, okay, time to come back. But I've learned what those are so I can come back faster. Right. So when I'm holding tension in my jaw, my, my bad, my belly, or I'm just feeling like that sense of urgency, I know that that's when I, that's the time to kind of put it down and to move toward things that are, that are healing for me. So, yeah, I think that that, you know, whether it came when I was doing homeschool, like planning their lessons at 11 o'clock at night, like sometimes it would come in those quiet hours, you know, so then I wouldn't be up as early because there was, you know, so there's there's that that flexibility, but giving myself grace instead of judging myself, I think that's been the greatest shift. Mm -hmm. It's been internal of how I meet myself. 
Yeah. Good one. Important one. I know. I think we could talk with her all day, but yes. unfortunately it sounds like she's got no. I like how like she said zoom the verb. That's true. Like it's like universal yeah, language. Totally. Zoom in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Gotta go zoom. Yes. Yeah, and then zoom fatigue and all the things. Oh, so this is wonderful it's real. to connect on the phone. Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Samantha, it's mm-hmm. been an absolute pleasure as always. Thank you so much for being the change. Oh my and gosh. You got Karen and I fired up. I know. Keep doing what you're doing. I can't wait to keep following you. Thank you. And thank you for, if I could, like, duplicate to y'all, like, so many times over. Oh. That's real, too. I don't know that everybody feels the same about about me. Everybody loves Karen. (laughs) I like to be duplicated in my house. Oh, that would be nice. (laughs) Well, you have a great rest of your day, Samantha. Bye, Queens. Today's episode is brought to you by Yours Truly. I'm excited to announce the releasing of my book, Finding Your Sweet Spot in Sport, Avoiding Relative Energy Deficit in Sport, also known as REDS, by optimizing your energy balance. Be sure to follow me on social media or go to my website, www.beccamacomble.com. Bye, queens. For additional information on today's topic and guests, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fit queen and Hashtag fit for a queen. And don't forget to rate us on iTunes. We can't wait for you to join us next time on Fit for a Queen. Bye, queens.